Uh, I have one announcement before we start today, and, and that is next Saturday we're looking at possibly, hopefully, 80% uh, doing a work day. And we've we got a couple things lined up for that first. It looks like they're lining up to do that. And if you would like to help out next Saturday, there's a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center. Put your name on that. Uh, if we do it, we will either call, text, whatever, email you, whatever's on there to tell you what time we're meeting for that. And if we don't do it, we'll also call, text, email, whatever to tell you it's not happening. We're like 80% sure it's happening at this point. We just wanted to make sure we had a list of people to help out. So if you'd be willing to do that, go ahead and do that. That's like the only thing I have to start with is asking for you guys to come and work. Let's pray. No, I'm kidding. Um, if you're new to Element, welcome. You don't get off that easy. If you're new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles uh, on the bottoms of the seats in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. If you've take, taken one before and it's fallen apart because they're not the most expensive Bibles in the world, you can have another one. You're welcome. Our gift to you. Uh, on all this uh, communion tables throughout the room, there are these sermon notes look like this. Get places to take notes with the verses on the side, and then you'll get a little introduction and a reminder, some questions to talk to one another to reflect about what we do talk about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called YouVersion. Click on More and Then Events in YouVersion. We'll come up by GPS in your smartphone, and you'll get sermon notes, questions, announcements, uh, everything that really goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who understand how we are sent and the message that you call us to go with into the world, and that we would speak of you honestly and truthfully, that we would speak about your grace and your goodness and what you call people into, that we would once again be your image bearers and how we live out in this world so it would glorify you. Amen. All right, have a seat. So we are doing this fun summer series, at least let's hope it's fun for you. Uh, We're getting it called I Believe in Miracles. It's sitting uh, between our different parts of the book of Ecclesiastes. We did 20 weeks of the book of Ecclesiastes, then we take a break for the summer because people are in and out a lot during the summer. Then at the end, after Labor Day, we're going to come back in and finish out those last uh, 12 messages we have in there, those last four chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. And so in the middle of that, I thought we could do a fun little thing for the summer and do this thing called I Believe in Miracles. Now, I did get it from that song it's by by a band named hot chocolate which i think is a miracle not not the band's named hot chocolate but hot chocolate itself is a miracle it's i know it's warm outside now but we actually have hot chocolate in the mornings because it's a miracle you know so it's it's awesome but the song itself is it's not really a great song it's about this guy who prays for a woman and along she comes and all sorts of inappropriate stuff and then i believe in miracles since you came along you sexy thing so maybe i shouldn't have used it for a sermon title right Whatever. So you just go with me, all right, with it. Um, I, I thought it'd be great to look at the miracles in Scripture about what God is doing, what God did, and how maybe sometimes we really miss the miracle of what he does in the midst of it and how we could understand it maybe a bit differently. So today we're going to talk about the miracle that takes place in the book of Jonah. Open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. 
You may be surprised, hopefully, what the miracle is in the book of Jonah. Almost 10 years ago, I had taught through the book of Jonah. It took me four weeks. And so when I come at it today, it's going to be easy and hard both. It's easy because I know where I want to land with it, but it's hard because I'm long-winded and I'm taking four messages and trying to cram them into this one to make it make sense. So I'm going to just get start going. Jonah 1, verses 1 and 2, what I had you stand for. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Some translations will use the word preach there and preach against it for their evil has come up before me so that's where it starts it's like how a lot of people think all old testament books might start that god is mad about something he sends someone to preach hellfire and brimstone god destroys a whole lot of stuff in the story but that's not the case of the old testament and it's not the story of jonah so jonah is a guy jonah is not a prophet at this point that we know of if you've ever watched veggie tales which i think really many times has has terrible historical theology in it because if you ever seen veggie tales it's this thing where people have taken like fruit and they're a cartoon and they do bible stories with these vegetables and fruit and they have no arms i don't know how they do anything because they got no arms but anyway uh so what they teach in veggie tales that jonah had this job and his job was prophet And his new job was to go to Nineveh and and then preach against it. But in the scriptures, we don't know that. Jonah probably isn't a prophet yet. You look at the the prophet Amos in the Old Testament. He's a guy who was a farmer. And God shows up and says, Amos, I want you to do this. Amos goes and does that. He's one of the few Old Testament prophets that didn't get killed. And then he goes back and becomes a farmer again. It's like God calls them out of where they are to do this thing. And then they go back. And I think that's Jonah. He's just a dude doing his job, living his life. And God shows up and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, God's call to Jonah is different than every other Old Testament prophet. Jonah is the only prophet in the Old Testament that is sent to a nation other than Israel. I know today, when we think about prophets, we think, oh my goodness, you have those prophets go and tell everybody else how, how much they are in sin. God's prophets always went to God's people. And he called his own people back to this thing called repentance. And repentance, this Hebrew word, it means to return to who God is calling us to be. Return to be his children, his image bearers. It's actually a word that is full of grace and hope and life. And Jonah is the only one sent to another nation. He's supposed to go to the city called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is in Assyria. It's on the bank of the Tigris River. Uh, Jonah is written during the reign of King Jeroboam II. You can read about him in 2 Kings 14, and that's about roughly 800 years before Jesus was born. During this time, the nation of Israel itself, it is very prosperous, but it is steeped in sin, but it didn't see their sin in themselves. They only saw sin in everybody else. I am so glad that we have outgrown that today. The role of a prophet, again, point out the sin in God's own people to call them back, to make them understand you were called to be my blessing in the world. You are called to live differently, to be my light. You are my image bearers. Now, there's another prophet at the time of Jonah. His name is Nahum. And Nahum actually lets you know what the Assyrians are like. Uh, they were famous for two different things. The first one is their pride. In Isaiah chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, it will talk about how God deals, after he deals with his people, he's going to go deal with the pride of the king of Assyria. The second thing they are known for is their cruelty. Nahum lists a lot of sins of Assyria. Uh, they would go and they would murder people in their towns and they would stack the dead bodies up in the towns and not haul them off so that no one would want to be in there because of the stench of the dead people. Uh, they were involved in witchcraft and bizarre sexual practices. Uh, the book of Psalms will tell you that they came in and they would bash babies' heads against rocks in order to kill them. They're a horrible, vile people. It's like an entire country run by the DMV. It's like they're arrogant and they're cruel. Okay? So 
the Assyrians, sorry if you work at the DMV, um, the Assyrians are the bitter enemy of God's people and of God. On three separate occasions at this point, the Assyrians have tried to wipe the Hebrew people off the map. And so they, again, they would go and they would slaughter the men, they would rape the women, they would beat children's heads against rocks to kill them. And if you were pregnant, sometimes they would actually rip open pregnant women and strangle the fetus inside with the mom's uh, intestines. That's what they were like, terrible people. So they, he's called to go to this place called Nineveh where many of these people live. Nineveh is, Nineveh is this principal Assyrian city. It's a symbol of their power and arrogance. At the time of Jonah, Nineveh has 120,000 children in it, and that's in addition to their adult population. Nineveh is fortified by a 100-foot wall that sat around their city, and it was so wide at the top that it is rumor that you could uh, race three chariots side by side around the top of that city. And so that begins to fuel their invincibility. They could grow their own crops in their city. They could raise their own cattle, and no one could tell them what to do. They could leave their walls, take out cities, and go back into their own walls. The Bible tells us that Nineveh was founded by this guy named Nimrod, who was a very tough and a very great warrior. And I would say, of course, just look at his name. If you name your kid Nimrod... You're going to learn how to fight really quick, right? Because everybody's going to pick him, and that's what's going to happen. Uh, he is a descendant of Noah, and so God sends Jonah there. And in sending Jonah there, it's funny because God has a sense of humor in what he does. I think the book of Jonah is very humorous. It's like God comes along to the most hardcore, America first, isolationist person you know, and he says, I want you to go to Iraq or Afghanistan and Al-Qaeda and tell them God is sick of it. Now, it'd be like, great, I'll tell them God's sick of it, but why does God want Jonah to say he's sick of it? Because he wants, uh, this, he wants these people in Nineveh to come to a place of repentance. He wants to go and be in relationship with them and change them. Now, a lot of times we'll say, but well, you can't do that. Those are vile, nasty people. We, we don't want them to know who you are. We want them to burn and to grovel and know their sin and wickedness. And that's how Jonah feels when God tells him to go. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What Jonah does is he gets on a ship not to go to Nineveh, but to go to Tarshish. He's running from God and from God's calling. And it's funny because he thinks he can outrun God. I'm going to get on a ship in the middle of all this water and God's not going to be able to find me. Woohoo! Right? God can still find you. It's, it's like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They sin, they run from God, they, they're naked, hiding in the garden, like God won't find us. Like God can't find a naked person in a garden. You're not green. Okay? It's, but it's like we do this too. Sometimes when we, when we get involved in some sin, we go, well, I'm not going to go to church because then I don't have to deal with God. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, God will deal with you wherever you are. Nineveh is east, Tarshish is west. God's call is to go there. Instead, he goes to Tarshish as far as he can of the known world at that time. Tarshish is like southern Spain, opposite direction. And what you see is throughout the scriptures, these threads of sin and grace as they weave all of human history together. Jonah, sin is shown as running from God. And grace is shown how God will chase Jonah down and that God will bring Jonah back and God will do all these things in his life because that's who God is, that Jonah is is the running sinner, and God is going to overtake that running sinner. And so Jonah ends up on this boat, running away. God sends winds and waves and storms to buffet and plummet this, this ship, and the ship is almost going under, and the sailors don't know why. 
Only Jonah does. And he hasn't said anything for almost the whole time. And when they're about to die, finally he speaks up and he goes, you know what, this is my fault. God's chasing me. If you throw me overboard, well, then God will let you guys be okay and everything will be better. He, he finally says something. Now, what you see the soldiers do, or the, the sailors on the ship do at this point, is they actually try to save Jonah. Jonah is on a ship with non-Israelites, people he most likely despises. And what these people start to do is to dump all of their goods off of the ship to lighten the load to try and save Jonah. The pagans in the story look nicer and more spiritual and compassionate than God's prophet. They will even grab oars to try and row back to land to save his life, and there's no indication in the text whatsoever that Jonah himself picked up an oar to row. That's, that's Jonah. And so the sailors look like they're spiritual and moral, but don't know God. Jonah knows God, but he isn't spiritual or moral. And this leads to great confusion in our world today, just like it led to it back then. We have people who claim to know and love and follow God, but they will not live for him out in the world around us. And so it's not new. And I think this starts to happen, and it starts to grow Jonah up a bit. Maybe it humbles him. It's why I think he says, you should throw me overboard, because if you do, then God's going to relent, and so that calm would come. I think this starts to become a turning point in Jonah's life. Not that he gets everything figured out, but he's finally going to be willing to go where God's calling him to go. I think he starts to realize we are all rebels against God, that chaos and trouble is usually our fault when we run from who he is. And so these sailors, they will reluctantly pick Jonah up, and they will throw him over the side. And when they do, it starts to calm down. Then chapter 1, verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now this is supposed to be funny, because what is Jonah's call? Go to a people who don't know God and tell them about God. He runs from his call, and what instead happens is he hooks up with pagan sailors who don't know God, and he tells them about God. It's funny. Like, they worship the Lord. They pledge themselves to him. The very call that Jonah was running from, he actually did. I refuse to do that. And then he ends up doing it. And this shows us there's really only two ways to be obedient to God. The first way is just to do it. And it's shorter and it's easier. The second way is much more entertaining, (laughs) but usually more painful in the end. And God's will still gets done. People have called God in the scriptures scandalous because of what he does. These sailors are just learning who he is, and God's like, yeah, throw my prophet over the board. That's where he's going. Throw him over. Like, what? He's like, that's what's supposed to happen. God works in ways people never, ever imagine. This is why some people refuse to come to him, because he acts in all the ways that they think he shouldn't. These men fear God. They, they come to a place where they honor and respect him, a thing that Jonah didn't really do. Now, here's the verse everybody likes. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, we think that's the miracle in the book of Jonah. Jonah and the whale, even though it doesn't say whale. It says, it says big fish. This is not the miracle, though. The fish is a prop on the stage, and the hero is always God himself. A lot of people get so distracted by the fish. I have heard people try and chastise Christians and say, oh, that's stupid. Don't you know people don't live in fish? It's like, really? People don't live in fish? Why didn't somebody tell me? I can't believe it. That would have totally changed my view about everything in the world. What's what's going on? Uh, Some liberal Bible scholars, they try and dismiss this as being fable or myth. 
When Jesus comes and Jesus talks about this, Jesus will talk about how Jonah being in, the, in this fish for these three days and three nights is representing what God is going to ultimately do to rescue and save us in the person of Jesus because he'll be dead for three days. That's the idea. And if you think that Jonah being swallowed by a big fish is a big deal, how about the God of the universe comes in human flesh, allows us to place our hands upon him, to kill him, and then he rises from the grave. He's like, hey, that's a big deal. This is the bigger deal. And the same Jonah that ran and rebelled against God was forgiven by Jesus. Jesus comes to redeem people like Jonah. The point of Jonah is to prepare us for Jesus. That's what Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty nine to 32. Now, today, there are still accounts of people that sometimes will get swallowed by big fish and get puked out later. There's this MSN thing came out like three weeks ago on my newsfeed, and this guy got swallowed. They got pictures. It's like, hump. This fish swallows him. A couple hours later, it's like, blah. <laughs> they got pictures. It's awesome, right? And they come out smelling like, you know, stomach bile and horrible, nasty stuff. I think that's what happened to Jonah. I don't think it's like all the kids' stories where, oh, in the belly of the whale, there's Jonah with his campfire. And he's, and he's, and he's playing solitaire, waiting for the three days to get over because it was so spacious. I would live in a place like this. Why don't we make houses out of whales? No. I, you ever been licked by a big old dog? Like, right? Imagine that. Right, just wrapped around you three days, nasty dog breath, and they eat like the cat poop in the backyard. It's like, oh, it's terrible. Three days in the belly of this thing. He probably felt like he died and went to hell. Is what he's feeling like. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I bet he did. Right? I would too. I'd be like, dear God, I'm so give, I will go wherever you tell me to go. Just just get me, either kill me or get me out of here, right? That's that's I would encourage you. Read Jonah chapter two. It is Jonah's prayer of repentance while he's sitting in the belly of the beast, okay? Chapter two, verse ten though. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I love that. The word vomits in the Bible. So awesome. Nice and smelly, right? In the belly of the fish, I think Jonah comes to a place where he starts to recognize that his deliverer is God himself. I think Jonah started to create this nationalistic idol out of his country because, oh, look, God gave us the scriptures. We're better than everybody else. We're the chosen race. And this will start to change because he will go where God calls him to go. But it's this idea that started because he was swallowed by this fish. Now go to Jonah chapter 3. So at the end of chapter 2, the fish, you know, pukes Jonah up onto the beach. I also think this is funny because we have this thing at Element called Element Moms. And they will send out this thing on Facebook. Hey, you know, it's a nice day. Anybody else want to go to the beach with their kids? Can you imagine that out there the kids? Beach day. Yay. Oh, mom, look at the fish. Yay. Blah. Right? And then here comes this, this prophet, right, bleached white, smelling like your dinner from three days ago. Like, come walking. I was like, we got to go home. You know? It's the zombies are coming to get us. They're all coming out of the ocean. We don't know. Uh, that, bring about chain puking, by the way. Uh, one writer says about this moment, you can run from God, but you won't get anywhere but further from your calling. God will still catch you, and you will just stink, and the truth becomes less pleasant. Ooh, right? Some people think that God had the fish throw Jonah up right outside of Nineveh. I'll take you there and make you go there. I don't think that's what happened. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 starts just out like Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It starts like this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. So he wasn't there. The great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. 
This reinforces the idea that none of us are beyond the grace of God. None of us. People are called. We are rebuked. We are spoken to. God comes again and again and again until we are people who change. What we need to understand is that God didn't need Jonah. God could have done this himself. He could have sent anybody. But God wants to change Jonah. And he knows Jonah's going to run, and he wants to change the sailors, and he wants to change the Ninevites. God does this. And this is what God does for us as well. When God sends us, we always think it's the idea of, I'm going to go preach the gospel, and those people need to change. Well, he sends us because we need to change as well. He's speaking to all of us in the midst of what he does. And we are a people, many times we'll run and run, and God will pursue, and he'll pursue us until we stop running. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, meaning it would take you three days to walk across the city. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So it could be Jonah walked in a whole day speaking these words, or he walked in a full day, said the words, and then walked back out. But either way, don't let anybody tell you that Jonah went beyond the call of his sermon. Because in the Hebrew text, that is five words. That's all it is. And I know you're thinking, I wish Aaron could be more like Jonah. Five words, right? This is Jonah's sermon. God says repent or else. That's essentially the sermon right there. He doesn't have a tent, doesn't have a van, no, no projectors. He doesn't wail or wear a sign. He does nothing. This is really the worst outreach strategy in the history of the world. Gets puked up, walks to Baghdad. Jesus is mad. You should knock it off and walks away. That's all you get from the prophet. Chapter 3, verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Who did they believe? Who did they believe? There you go. God. Stinky prophet shows up. Bad attitude. And who did they say spoke? God spoke. God spoke. Guys, our faith should never be in the messenger. It should always be in the God who sent the message. The day I wrote this, there's, this, there's another church failing. Some leader in the church somewhere messed up again. And everyone's like, oh, I can't follow God because this person did this. Our faith is not in people. People are horrible. People mess up all the time. The guy who led me to the place where I believed in Jesus, his life when I wrote this message is horribly messed up, horribly messed up. But my faith is not in that messenger. My faith is in the God who sent the message. Our faith rests in who Jesus is. That's what's important to know. And again, if you read Nahum chapter 3, you will see these are terrible people. Almost as bad as some parts of the United States today with murder and slavery and witchcraft and child sacrifice. But the thing is, these people have never heard from God. And now they actually do. And God speaks, and they believe him. And what's the response? The second half of Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Sackcloth is the, is the dress of slaves and the poor. It's humility. They say, we are impoverished before this living God, and we are slaves to his mercy. What they're saying is, we belong to God. Now, we call this, again, the word repentance. It's, gr- it's grace. It's returning to who God calls us to be. It's a beautiful word, a turning from our sin and going to who God made us to be. And this is the appropriate response for anyone when we hear and understand God's word. It should always lead us to that place of restoration and repentance. God reveals himself so we can see the difference between us and him because he is so much better than we are. And the thrust of the book of Jonah so far is Jonah thought he was self-righteous because he was from the chosen people. But in the end, you see him being very unrighteous. The Ninevites thought they were righteous because they were very comfortable and secure in their city. They're rich and fat and happy and drunk and ruling the world. But when they realize that 
who God was and what God said, and they had trusted in their own strength, they repented. They realized they're poor without God's grace. And the next verses will then go on to show how the king himself gets off the throne. The king will name their sin and what they have been doing, their violence and their anger. And Jonah chapter 3, verse 9, he says, And who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Everything in that city grinds to a halt because of this maybe. Jobs, schools, government, everything stops because they rightly understand that God is not obligated to do anything. He's not obligated to change them or love them or forgive them. They hope that this is a God of grace, but they don't know because the prophet didn't stay and tell them who God was. He didn't explain the scripture. He just said, you better repent or God's going to smack you and walk right back out the door. That's... We are people today who get to understand who God is, that our hope is secure, that we understand what he has done and continues to do in our lives because we have the book of Jonah, but we also have that Jesus came to rescue us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Guys, we are a people who get to know the God of compassion and mercy and grace and love. The Ninevites are there and they only hope. They're only hope. And it all happened because of five words. And these five words reveal this. Who is God? Who we are? And what and where is repentance? And when we understand that, who God is and who we are and what repentance and coming back to who God calls us to be returning home to be his people, we are transformed by God. Now, the Ninevites repent. That's, that's chapter 3 of Jonah. In chapter 4, what happens is Jonah gets very mad about their repentance. Like, he has an enemy, and he wanted them destroyed and not saved. And so in chapter 4, you get this little picture into Jonah's head and his heart and his life, and he looks a lot like us. This is why the book of Jonah is funny, right? Because you just saw the miracle in the book of Jonah, and that is the idea that like upwards of a half a million people just got saved, and God's prophet is mad about it. It's funny. It's funny. Uh, the, Jonah is in this. You have the greatest revival in the history of the world, and, and he's mad. And it's irony because we are just like Jonah. Jonah was happy to be a person who himself received God's grace, but was angered to see it extended to people who he considered godless and awful, people who he believed were nowhere near as good and deserving as he was. See if this isn't funny. Okay, so Jonah chapter 4 now, verses 1 through 3. He says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He's angry about their repentance. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. So why did he run from God? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. How dare you, right? <laughs> Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. How dare you be so gracious? Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. It's like, I knew you would love them. That's why I didn't want to go. Jonah probably thinks that all of his people are going to blame him because he's went, the prophet that went to preach at them, and they all repented, and God saved them, and they're going to be mad at him because God didn't wipe them off the face of the earth. He's mad at Jonah as Jonah is at God himself. And the conversation that will ensue in chapter 4 is really God saying to Jonah, the only reason you're mad, Jonah, is that you're not God. But Jonah, that's actually a good thing for you and your people as well that you are not God. And Jonah's like, but they do witchcraft and rape and idolatry. And God says, yeah, when I told them to stop, they stopped. What did you do, Jonah? You ran away. And I had to chase you down as well. And so Jonah, he's going to sit outside the city of the Ninevites and he's going to watch the city because he's hoping maybe the repentance isn't real and God's still going to scorch him off the face of the map. And so God causes this vine overnight to grow up over Jonah's head so he has shade. And Jonah's like, oh, this vine is so great. God must love me. It's a, and then the next night, God has the vine die. And Jonah's like, God hates me. You know, it's, 
It's, it's really funny. Uh, Jonah chapter 4, verse 9. This is out of the NIV. But God said to Jonah, Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. It's such comedy, right? It's like, like a two-year-old. I do! You took my ball! <laughs> right? You didn't buy the ball, Jonah. I don't care! It was my ball! When we get mad at God, many times what we're saying without words is that God is wrong and that God must somehow repent to us. Like God has set us to be his judge. I mean, that's, that's godless is what that is. And many times if we are, you know, unrightly angry with God, I'm not saying you can't ever be angry with God, but many times what happens in that is because we have placed our own selves on the throne of our own lives. Jonah chapter 4, verse 10. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? That's a way of speaking of children, don't know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. If you don't care about the people, Jonah, what about the cows? Okay, Jonah, it's, it's really a very Old Testament conversation. <laughs> it is. But God is making a point. Jonah, you ran, I sent a fish. You got puked up, you preached five words, and upwards of a half a million people get saved. And the only thing you are concerned about is that stupid plant. That's what God is saying. And God who gets that first word in the book gets the last word in the book at, when he points out that you love a plant more than you love the people around you. And Jonah, the book, brings us on to the conviction that many times we love the things God has given us more than we love the people around us. We love our homes and our cars and our hobbies and our health and our friends more than we love the great city in which we live and all the spiritually blind people who are around us we pass every day and we ignore because our minds are so consumed with ourselves. The question that Jonah in the book will leave us to ponder is who would we ourselves be if God left us to ourselves and stopped running after us? That's the question because we would be who Jonah was. If Jesus had not died and rose from the grave after three days, where would we be? We would be a people who were lost and alone. And if you don't make it personal, you miss the point of the book of Jonah. See, we know that Jonah came to a place of repentance in his life. How do we know? Because Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. And you don't make yourself look this dumb if you don't come to a place of repentance, right? So we know that. Uh, Ten years ago when I taught this, I told you that each year certain sects of Jews, they actually get together in synagogues on the Day of Atonement, and they will read through the book of Jonah. And they will respond with, we are Jonah. And this is true because we are Jonah and we each have our own ways in which we run from God in our lives. They, they can be myriad and far between, but we all have ways. Like we know God loves us, but we're self-righteous and we don't really understand grace and the depths of what it means. So we have to be honest and figure out how we run from God. The sailors, they had a God that they made up in their own mind. God has to look like this. God has to do this until the real God showed up and changed their minds by being so scandalous. Many people in churches today, we have this view of who God is and how he has to act and how he has to be. And if God doesn't do what we want, well, then God failed. We are just like the sailors. The people in Nineveh, you know, they ran from God by doing whatever they wanted. They were comfortable behind their walls, didn't have to do anything. Jonah himself has this veneer of spirituality. He's from the chosen people. And sometimes I'll tell you the greatest place for people to hide is in a church. Because we feel like, oh, I'm doing okay because I'm in a church. God has come to get us from where we are hiding because he wants us to live in new and real life. He wants us to be a people who go back to this place of repentance. We are Jonah in that we, if we're honest, don't like certain people. Jonah's fear is that God is going to love people he didn't like. That's his big fear. Jonah wrongly believed because he was a particular nationality and the the scriptures were given to his people that they belonged to the one true God, that he was somehow better than all of these godless pagans who he didn't like and did not want to be part of his spiritual family. 
because we all have people around us that we don't like. We don't really want them to know Jesus because we don't want them to be with us in eternity in a place called heaven because you can't kill people in heaven, and it's complicated, right? It's like, ah, oh, just don't believe. That makes it all the better. We are Jonah in that we have been sent to proclaim repentance, the grace of what that looks like, the call back to who God intends for us to be to our great but wicked city, state, nation, world around us. Do you know a recent report came out two weeks ago that shows the corridor from San Luis, uh, Santa Barbara, Santa Maria, and San Luis Obispo that we are the ninth highest rated place of post-Christian people in the country. Post-Christian, that doesn't mean that's a good thing. We, uh, we are worse than place called Seattle, okay, which is saying a lot right there. And what it means is the people around us, they know nothing of sin or grace. When they hear the word sin, it means something they don't even understand. When they hear the word repentance, it means something they don't understand. And we cannot rightly proclaim repentance of sin and the beauty of grace from Jesus until we, like Jonah, experience it ourselves. Where we return, where we repent, as Jonah did, and we confess that we are just like him, and that God in Christ has pursued us and found us. Grace was extended to the Ninevites. Grace is extended to the sailors. Grace is extended to Jonah himself who ran in sin but was found by God who transforms him by repentance. This grace is also extended to us through the blood of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, that's Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We all are a people who must come to realize that we are nothing apart from Jesus. And I believe the miracle in the book of Jonah is that God goes and he saves because he is good. God saves by his own choice and his own goodness, just like God saves us. And the miracle of Jonah is that it didn't even stop there. The miracle of Jonah is it's still going on today as God rescues and God restores and God redeems because God is a God of miracles and he has this crazy, insane love for his people that he created and he wants us to know him because he himself is good. This is one of the reasons every week at Element we take you guys to this place of communion. We don't pass it around the room. It's actually a response. You have to get up and take communion. And you break that cracker to remind us that Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of blood that was shed for you and me. That Jesus was buried in the grave three days, rose from the dead, just like Jonah was pointing towards. And God is good for the things that he has said. Now the band's going to come up, and as they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion. And if you need prayer, there can be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, if you're in a spot today where maybe you have run from God, you don't want to listen to his call, maybe you've created a pseudo-God in your own mind, and the God that you made for yourself has let you down because he didn't do what you wanted him to do, they would love to pray with you about that. If you have people in your life who you harbored this just deep-seated anger towards and you don't want them to know the saving grace of who he is, and you want someone to pray with you about that, they would love to pray with you about that. Because I think it's important for us to understand as we look through these stories and the scriptures and the miracles that Jesus does, who we are in the midst of those stories and what God is calling us to as well. Because they're all there for a purpose and a reason. And God brings it all to fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we get to be a people who understand now all that he was doing and be even more humbled by what God did. Because God rescued us you know, in our same way as we ran away from him. Uh, they're offering boxes next to every door. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. And so we don't pass the plate as a response to what he's done. Uh, there are no snacks outside. Uh, apparently somebody hates you. 
not me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but there are no snacks outside. But take some sermon notes this week. And what I would encourage you to do is maybe meet some other people and talk through some of those questions in there. Maybe if you're honest enough, you know, maybe talk about people who you dislike so much that you really don't want them to come to the knowledge of Jesus because you, know, you want them to understand for all eternity how terrible they are. Right? And, but maybe talk about the graciousness of who God is and his rescue of us and what God calls us to in our own lives. And maybe you're, you're in a place where you are running. Maybe talk to one another about the places that you run or you have run or you continue to run. What are the things you go to to try and push God out of your life so you don't have to hear him and deal with him and, and work with him? And where are the places God is calling you to go to even now to be like Jonah and speak about God's gracious hope of the return and repentance? These are all the beauty and the grace of what God has done. And so let's be a people who, you know, became like Jonah, maybe became in Jonah chapter 5, which isn't in the Bible, right? Where he kind of repents and returns and comes back and, and lives out this life understanding God's great grace and goodness. Let's be a people who live out the understanding of our great salvation as given to us by God himself. Because that will change how we live in every circumstance in our lives. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us, God, not just of your love, but the strength of that love for us and what you have done. Like Paul says in the book of Romans that there's no height nor depth. There's nothing that can separate us from who you are and your call in our lives. How you come and restore and redeem and call us to be a people who come to a place of repentance a place where we understand that we are called to return to be your children and your image bearers in this world because of your great goodness given to us. Not that we have anything that we can do to affect our salvation, but we are a people who can learn how to live in a life of repentance and grace where we would begin to live out your great call in us. And that even the places where we stumble and fall, you are still the messenger sending the message. And so we can trust you that it doesn't all rest upon our shoulders. It rests upon you. And that would give us even greater freedom to speak about the redeeming hope that you've called us to. And so this morning, have us begin to see how we are like Jonah. And have us see the great hope that we know as reality that is found in who you are. God, we thank you for your great rescue of us. Teach us to be a people who live out that great rescue in all that we do. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.